Hey, thank you so much. Thank you, guys. How y'all doing today? Are you good? Great. Seven people are good today. Love it. How many guys are good today? There you go. Turn to the person next to you and just shake them and say, just wake up. I know it's early. I know it's cold. This is cold for me. Hey, it's great to be here. I, I love this church. I feel like I'm a part of the family, and I think it's my third time back, and, uh, and, it, and it's great. You've got to excuse my voice. I, I've got a little bit of a cold, uh, so, you know, usually I don't sound this, this sexy, <laughs> but unfortunately today I do, and uh, uh, like uh, Pastor Charles said, can I just say, it is great to be here. I, I love your church. I love your family. You guys have been so generous to our families in the Philippines. Some of you don't even know this, but you've supported what we've done in the Philippines, and, uh, and it's been great, and, and I just love uh, you know, the team here, Pastor Greg, uh, Charles and April, aren't they amazing? I, these guys are incredible friends and love your heart and your passion for people. Charles makes me want to be a better Christian. As, does he have that effect on anyone else? I don't even need to be a better pastor. I just want to be a better Christian when I'm around Charles. And, uh, and he says I do the opposite for him, which is not a good relationship to have. <laughs> Uh, but I love you guys. What you guys are doing here is amazing. And the Hope Center, isn't that incredible as well? And, and the faithfulness that, that you guys have had in this season. And, and I just believe that God's going to do great things in your church. I can't wait uh, till we have multiple services. Oh, thank you so much. That's incredible. Multiple services in here. This building's not going to be big enough. Cool. Four people believe. Anyone with faith here this morning? This building's not going to be big enough. Amen. There you go. We got it. And uh, at the moment, for those of you that don't know me, I usually I show pictures, but I didn't send them, so I'm a bit late. But I'm married, my beautiful wife, Kate, and we've been married nearly 10 years this September. I've got a, a daughter called Hope Milani. She's uh, three and a half years old. And after uh, about three years of not ever giving me a hug or a kiss, she finally broke. And, uh, and she's now daddy's girl, which is the greatest thing for my self-confidence. Uh, that I have a daughter that loves me. And uh, two years ago, my wife uh, gave birth to our, our next daughter. Sienna Brave is her name, and she's just turned two. So please pray for me uh, because she shows me the love of Christ uh, that even though I was a sinner, Christ loved me, and so I need to love her in this season as well. And, uh, and she, her name is Brave, and, and she definitely is brave. And she just runs off, and, and uh, they're little superstars in the Philippines. People just take photos of them everywhere. And uh, it, it's quite fun uh, to live with those kids. And my wife is eight months pregnant with my son, my first son. Isn't that cool? Thank you so much. Overwhelming. Uh, I did what I had to do, and I did it well. And, uh, and so uh, we're going to have three kids under the age of four. So, you know, why not, you know, don't just move to another country and start a church from scratch. Let's have three kids under the age of four as well. So I think, thank you. Thank you. Uh, Some people call it brave or stupid, depending on where you are. So uh, please pray for us. Our our church is, we've been having services for about 18 months now, and and God's doing great things in our church. And and, uh, if you ever come to Manila, come and visit us. We've got a very unique church in, in which we have uh, every uh, sect of society is in our church. The Philippines is a very class society uh, where the lower class and the upper class 
uh, are very separated in how they live, and yet for some reason God's done a great thing. Uh, I guess, you know, we don't really have a much of a class society here in Australia. Everyone's just together, and that kind of helps me being the pastor there. We have uh, squatters, the, the poor of the poor that are in our church, and then we have movie stars that are coming into our church as well. And uh, it's just amazing to see what God is doing. People are getting saved. We, we have people that, uh, I have people sitting in my church that will understand 40% of what I say. But they stay because they feel God. And they get the sermon explained to them on the way home. But they love the church because for the first time in their adult life, they feel God. We have people that have come in from Catholicism that have done everything for their whole lives. And they walk into our church, and it's in a bar at the moment. So they're, I'm preaching to Jim, Jack, and Johnny every single week. And uh, some of you laugh too hard at that. You're like, so am I. And... Uh, and, and they're in a bar, they're freaking out because it's in a bar and it should, there should be statues and there should be a robe and I dress like this. And, and they look, but they, they cannot escape the fact that for the first time they feel something, which is the presence of God. And that's what we want in our services. We want the presence of God. And, you know, I can sit here and preach as well as I want, but unless the presence of God is here, people aren't going to change. People aren't going to come closer to Christ. And, and so please pray for us because on hopefully May 20. Uh, we're going to have a soft opening into a new building uh, that we have. Uh, it's, it's, in a, it's in a mall in the middle of Metro Manila called the Shangri-La Plaza. Uh, it's the best location in the whole Manila. We got a miracle of a deal to even get in there. But I still need to raise about $325,000 over the next eight months. And so, hey, if you have $325,000 today, I would love to take you out for lunch. I'll even pay for it today. <laughs> Uh, so, um, you know, so please pr pray for us because we need some big, big miracles. Uh, but we just feel like God is as, you know, I feel like it could have taken us seven years to get to this point. Um, but then we probably wouldn't have needed God over those seven years. So instead, we're taking 10 months to get to the point because we desperately need God every single day of that journey. Uh, and so pray for us because, yeah, I just think God's going to do something good. Amen. Hey, if you have your Bibles today, who here bought a physical hard copy of your Bible? Does anyone do that anymore? Great. Wow, that's more than most churches. That's amazing. If you have a physical hard Bible, turn to Mark chapter 5. If you don't, open up your phones. Uh, isn't that amazing you got to say that? Remember you used to say open up your Bibles. Now open up your phones and turn to Mark chapter 5. If you can change the version, go to New Living Translation because that's what I'm going to be reading out of. And I'm going to actually read a, a large uh, portion of scripture today. And I forgot to send my notes as well. So there's going to be no scripture up there. So all you guys that are waiting for the scripture to come up there, it's not happening today. So you got to pull out your phone. Mark chapter 5, verse 21. And I'm going to read this, this whole long story. Uh, but it's, it's a good, good story. It says this in, uh, in verse 21. Jesus got into the boat again. And he went back to the other side of the lake where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. And then the leader of a local synagogue, whose name was Jairus. Everyone say Jairus. Jairus arrived. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him. My little daughter is dying, he said. Please come and lay your hands on her. So heal her so that she can live. And Jesus went with him, and all the people followed, crowding around him. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors over the years, and she had spent everything she had to pay them. But she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. She had heard about Jesus, so she came up from behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Immediately, the bleeding stopped. 
and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Jesus realized at once that the healing power had gone out from him. So he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my robe? His disciples said to him, look at this crowd pressing around you. How can you ask who touched me? But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. When the frightened woman trembled at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. While he was still speaking to her, messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leaders of the synagogue. They told him, your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. But Jesus overheard them and said to Jairus, don't be afraid. Just have faith. And then Jesus stopped the crowd and wouldn't let anyone go with them except Peter, James, and John. And when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw much commotion and weeping and wailing. He went inside and asked, why all this commotion and weeping? This child isn't dead. She's only asleep. And the crowd laughed at him. Quite a, quite a change. They laughed at him, but he made them all leave. And he took the girl's father, mother, and his three disciples into the room where the girl was laying. Holding her hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. And the girl who was 12 years old immediately stood up and walked around. They were overwhelmed and totally amazed. Today I want to speak from the question, and, and the question that I want to ask you is simply this. Do you want to change? Do you want to change? Who here hates change in their life? Come on, just be honest with me. Put up your hand. Great. I hate, I hate change. I, I really hate change. The core of who I am, I hate it. When I was 10 years old, I had a dramatic change. I, I was actually born in the Philippines, and I lived there for the first 10 years of my life as a missionary kid. Uh, my dad is Australian. My mom is a New Zealander, uh, and I was born in the Philippines. Uh, and I went to an American school, and that's why I have this American accent. I have massive identity issues. I have no idea who I am or where I come from. I don't know who to support. The only, only one I confidently know how to support is the New Zealand All Blacks. Uh, that's all I know. Is I used to I used to support the Australian cricket team, but that's a little bit touchy now. And uh, and so I grew up in the Philippines. Ten years old, my parents said, "Hey, we're moving back to Australia. This is going to be your new home." I was devastated. I loved the Philippines. It was my home. I, I felt more comfortable with brown people than I did white people. Uh, white people just scared me. And uh, I, I was in the Philippines. It was hot. It was nice. It was beautiful. And, and my parents moved us in the middle of June, June 15. June 15, the worst day of my life. And I remember we got to Melbourne Airport, and I walked out. And as the doors opened at Telemarine, we walked out. And it was like Satan himself welcomed me to Melbourne with a cold, bone-chilling wind that smacked the side of my neck and made me realize that my life would never be the same again. And so I got to Melbourne, and, uh, and, and I realized that life was going to be instantly different. I looked like a lot of other people, but I sounded a lot different. And, uh, and so I was always the one. For the, the next, really, 20 years of my life, I was always the different one. So, yeah, I was kind of Aussie, but I, I sounded American. I, I was always the different one. I always said words differently. I spelt words differently. I would spell fiber, F-I-B-E-R, right, instead of R-E, which is, I think I spelled it the correct way. You don't spell lover, L-O-V-R-E, do you? Ah, see? And so I would, I would get spelling tests wrong at school. They go, no, that's the wrong way. I go, no, this is how I learn. And they'd get, I'd get in fights. And so I always felt like I was all right, that I had to change, right? Like it was, I, when I became a preacher, all of a sudden I became the cheap American option in Australia. If you couldn't afford to fly a preacher from America, 
You just have a local domestic flight to fly me. And so I was always kind of different in Australia. So two and a half years ago, when I moved back to the Philippines with my wife, I'm like, finally, I'm going back home. I'm going gonna, gonna to be just one of the people. I'm not going to stand out as much anymore. I know I'm white, but I'm not going to stand out as much. And, and, and my words, people are going to understand my words. Is it aluminum? Is it aluminum? I don't even know which one it is. I just say it. And, and so I go back, right, and, and I'm excited because I'm like, finally, I'm not going to stand out anymore. It's going to be great. And, and then I'm there. And so we start doing life with people. And this is where the realization hit me that I had become more Australian than I had ever imagined. I start having conversations with people. I'm like, okay, well, we'll, we'll meet up. And why, why don't we meet up for brekkie? <laughs> Pastor, what is brekkie? I'm like, oh my gosh, brekkie, it's breakfast. Do the math. Come on. It's simple. I, and, and so little things that all of a sudden started coming out of me. Hey, we need to talk. Uh, we're talking about registrations in our church. And I'm like, hey, we, we need to get all these regos done. Pastor, uh, what is rego? I'm like, oh, my gosh. We started talking about connect groups. I'm like, okay, we're going to do connect groups. We're going to do it once a fortnight, every fortnight. Pastor, what is fortnight? I'm like Fortnite, you know, under Fortnite, 14 nights, Fortnite, every two weeks, Fortnite. Some of you are like, whoa, is that why it's called Fortnite? <laughs> I never knew that. <laughs> right, and I realized, like in that moment of all of a sudden how Australian I was, and these colloquialisms that I have, oh man, you should have seen my wife one day, this, this girl in our church, my wife looked at her, my wife is Aussie, right, blonde haired, like, get out, mate, I'm Aussie, that's my wife, right, and she looked at this girl, she goes, oh, mate, you won't know yourself, right, and the girl looked at her and went, uh, why will I not know myself, I don't understand, right, so we realized pretty quickly that if we wanted to actually reach this nation, I was going to have to change my language, like, I was going to have to change, and, and, and I didn't want to change. It was annoying. I didn't realize. I've had to simplify my words. I've had to change. So I've had to speak more Americanized than Australianized. And I've realized that I've had to change in order to be able to live and to reach the people and do what God has called me to do. I don't like it, but I know I have to do it in order to grow and do what God wants me to do. Today, there's some people in this place that need to be challenged, that if you're going to actually step into what God has for you in your life, you need to begin to change. I don't know what it is. It could be something small. It could be something big. But I found that there's always areas in our life that we need to change. And, and a lot of the times, the reason why we aren't changing is because we don't want to change. Jairus in this story, there's, there's two great miracles in this story, but I don't even want to focus on those, I want to focus on Jairus, who he was, and the fact that he needed to change as a person in order to see Jesus come in and do a miracle in his life. Jairus was driven by a need. His daughter is there, and she's sick, and she's dying. And he didn't just sit in his room and get angry. God, how could you let this happen? God, how come this? He didn't become a victim of the situation. 
well, how come it's my daughter? How come it's this? He didn't even make it somebody else's problem. He didn't even send somebody else to Jesus. He decided that there's a problem here. I need to find a solution, so I'm going to do something about it. I'm not going to sit in my misery and sit in my pity. I'm going to get up. I'm going to run. I'm going to find Jesus and do something about it. Uh, The thing that holds us back a lot from our change is when we feel like we're the victim of a situation. Where we're like, well, how come this happened to me? This isn't fair. How come I'm the one that's going through this? I love Jairus because he didn't just sit on his butt and get angry about it. He said, I needed to get Jesus. I need to get Jesus. I need to find change in my life. And he didn't let the, any excuse come before him and finding Jesus. If we allow excuses to keep us in this place, we'll never see change. Well, you don't know what happened to me. You don't know what went on in my life. You know what? I don't know. There's so many stories in this place. In fact, every person here has a story. Every, some are crazy. Some are just cool. But like every person, we all have our stories. We all have our journeys. I actually know some of the stories of people in this place, and it's devastating. Devastating to hear stories. Devastating to hear stories of abuse or, or stories of rape or, or stories of bushfires or, or stories of things that have happened to us that never should have happened to us and, in fact, give us the right to actually be angry and to be upset. But, but here's the problem is that if we allow those stories to overtake our lives, we will stay in the same place and we'll never change and we'll never grow. And God doesn't want us to just stay in the same place. God wants to bring healing. God wants to bring breakthrough. If Jairus had just stayed in the same place, he never would have seen the healing and the breakthrough in his daughter's life. And so today, I want to look at the story of Jairus and Jesus. And I want to look at some of the actions that, that they took in order to see change in their life. Is that okay? So, so uh, this is my first point today, and it's simply this. is that If you want to change today, then you need to be like Jairus because Jairus gave up his pride. Jairus, number one, gave up his pride. Jairus, it says, was a synagogue leader. He is the pastor of the local Jewish synagogue and the church. And so Jairus is respected. He's well esteemed. He's got all his buddies. They they go to national conferences together. And they're all hanging out on the Gold Coast together doing their thing. And and he's a a well-esteemed local pastor, right? All his friends, all his crew, all his peers, uh, they hate Jesus. Well established in the Gospels, right? In fact, they hate Jesus so much that they want to plot to kill him and to ruin his life. Uh, You know, spoiler alert, they succeeded in that. And so Jairus, his peers all hate Jesus. All hate Jesus. He realizes that the only chance he has to heal his daughter is to go and find Jesus. So it says that he goes and a large crowd is surrounding Jesus. Remember, this is a well-respected leader who's now going to a man who's claiming to be the Messiah, the Son of God, which goes against what they were teaching at the time. None of the Jewish leaders accepted that, that Jesus was saying this. In fact, they were calling him blasphemous for saying these things. And he went in a large crowd of people and it says that he fell and he pleaded fervently. Some of us are desperate for change, but we're too afraid to lift our hand in church. Jairus pleaded fervently 
in front of a whole crowd of people for Jesus to come and to heal his daughter. He realized that the pride in his life of, I'm a leader, I shouldn't be seen doing this, I'm a pastor, in fact, I'm, I'm, I'm in the Jewish clan here, we're not supposed to like Jesus. His need for Christ outweighed what his thoughts of other people towards him were. His need for Jesus to come and do a miracle totally outweighed his insecurities of what he felt other people were thinking about him. Our pride is the main reason that stops us seeing change in our lives. Can anyone agree with that at all? Can you lift your hands if you agree with that? Great. I want you to lift your hands because we've got new people in this place. And they think they walked into a church full of perfect people. (laughs) But we all got issues. Amen? Yeah, like half of you said amen. The other half are like, no, I don't have issues. You have issues if you don't say amen. We all got stuff going on. And you know what? Our pride is the biggest thing that stops us seeing change in our life. Pride can manifest itself in caring what people think and being insecure, being arrogant. Pride can manifest itself in so many different ways. But you know what the core of what pride is? Pride being the root of all evil says in the word of God the core of what pride is is simply thinking that we don't need God that's what pride is thinking that we don't need God and the problem is we can be going to church Bible believing Christians hallelujah raise our hands do all the things that we need and we can say wow we need God we need God man I need God and all I do but a lot of times our actions don't back up what our words say We say we need God on a Sunday, but we can manage to live without him from a Monday to a Saturday. And it can affect every area of our life. Jairus, he did much more than just a physical, superficial act. What Jairus did was he got on his knees, he fervently pleaded, but he was saying, I don't just want to say I need you. I want to show you that I need you, and I'm showing you my heart. Because ultimately, Jesus doesn't want your actions. He wants your heart doesn't matter how good you are. You can give to the poor. You can feed the homeless. You can be nice to people. You can do good deeds. All of those things Jesus likes. But we see all throughout scripture that Jesus didn't care about the actions. Jesus cared about the heart of the person. James 4 verse 6, it says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. In some version, it says that God detests The proud. That's a strong word. He detests the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He actually wants to give enabling, empowering grace to people that would say, I need you. I need you. I can't do this by myself. Turn the person next to you and say, I can't do this by myself. That was clever. I just needed a water break. Did you like that? Church, unfortunately, sometimes can be the hardest place to actually be ourselves. We have this perception that we have to be perfect Christians. That's why I got you all to lift your hands up before to say that you have issues. You didn't realize it, but you were lifting your hands saying, I messed up. Isn't that cool? In church, sometimes we have this persona that, we, that once we get to the car, it's like, <sighs> right? You've just been fighting with your wife all the way. You're like, just shut up. You walk into church, it's like, how you doing today, brother? Oh, the Lord's been good to me. Hallelujah. 
Everything is good. How's your marriage? As you put your hand across the scar where your wife scratched you last night, God's good. My wife is a dream. Right? And, we, and, and the problem is in church a lot of times we put on the mask. How y'all doing? Good. God's good. God's good. God's good. And, and we feel like we, we can't be real about it. Church is the one place where you should get in your car, right in the car park before you walk in and take off the mask of what you've been wearing all week and say, this is who I am. It's who I need to be. I need to drop caring what people think about me. But, but in all honesty, it's easier to, to be in a place where nobody knows who you are, right? Have you ever been on holiday somewhere and you feel like just this boldness comes on you to do stupid things that you would never do at home? Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Some of you live your life like that every day. God bless you. You're amazing. But some of us, it takes like, when I first went to the Philippines, I'm like, yes, I can do anything I want because no one knows who I am. I'm doing stupid things. Now, unfortunately, our church is growing. Like I'm in the mall and someone goes, oh, hello, pastor. I'm like, oh, my God. i got to behave myself now. Right? It's a lot easier, I've found, to, in life to, to, to kind of be who you are when, when you don't know people. And it's actually the same in our Christian walk sometimes. It's actually when we're around people that we know it's harder to, to actually drop our insecurities. What are they thinking about us? You know, at the end of this, I'm going to give an altar response time for people that need to change things in your life. And some of you right now, the moment I just said that, an internal war has started raging inside of you. Because in your head, you know that there's things in your life that you need to change. And I don't even need to preach the rest of this sermon just from what I preached already. And you know you need to come up on the altar. But the war has started. What are they going to think of me? What's my spouse going to think of me? What's my pastor going to think of me? You know what? Your pastor is probably going to be the first one that responds. I hope you better now respond. <laughs> right? Like the, the war has started. It happens in church. I, I grew up uh, here in Melbourne for seven years, and I went to a large, a large uh, Christian school on the eastern suburbs of, uh, up in Knox, large Christian school attached to a large Christian church. And when I was in high school, I wasn't exactly uh, loving Jesus uh, at all. Um, I, I used to go to church. I used to go to youth group. But youth group was a great place to meet women. Uh, for me, that was it. Uh, any, any amens there right now? Uh, <laughs> I know why some of y'all are here at church. And uh, I, didn't, I didn't really care about Jesus at all. Halfway through my grade 12 year, my parents sent me back. Uh, to the Philippines to do my last year of high school. Most significant year of my life. Uh, ended up going through pretty big trials, tests, but found God, became a Christian. My life completely changed. While I was away, my parents moved from Melbourne up to Brisbane to take over a church. I came back in, went to Brisbane with them, didn't know anyone. It was perfect. It was incredible because it gave me an opportunity to really find Jesus without the pressure of my reputation, who I was, what people thought of me, the box that people had me in. I was new. I was fresh. This was pre-social media days, so no one could go and check my photos from the past. It was like just, it was me. It was, remember pre-social media days? Weren't they nice? Right? Now you like wake up and you get a memory seven years ago. This is what you look like. You looked way skinnier. It's like, I hate you, Facebook. And, uh, Right, I, so I was able to be myself. So I began to grow. 18 months I was in Brisbane, and I went from basically didn't knowing Christ to becoming the youth pastor of our church. God did something amazing in my life. After 18 months, I came and visited Melbourne, and I was visiting my friends, and, 
And I was going to go to this church on, on that night, uh, the church that was attached to this school. All my friends were the youth leaders. It was a big, big youth group. And I'd started to hear these, these things from people that had kind of gotten back to me, essentially saying, James Ayton, he's a Christian, whatever. We'll believe it when we see it, right? You know, like, come on. And, you know, I wasn't a bad kid. I just wasn't a great kid. And, and so I remember I came to youth group that night. The youth pastor was there, and he was a little bit of an older man. And the youth pastor and I walked up, and he's like, hey, how you doing, Satan? So my name, if you say it fast together, is James Satan. And so that's why I like to think people called me Satan in high school, but it may not have been the reason. But regardless, it's not awesome being welcomed as the prince of darkness into your youth ministry. Thank you. So glad to be here tonight. <laughs> Let me put on my mask now. And, uh, and so that's how I get welcomed in. I go and I start hearing people like, oh, my God, it's James. Oh, it's James. It's James. He did. Oh, James. Wow. He, he's such a loser. I can't believe he looks fantastic, but he was so bad. His muscles are so good. But he's, and, and I'm like, I can hear people whispering. They might not have whispered the muscles bit, but I knew they were thinking it. Um, <laughs> I knew it, and, and they were whispering. I could hear, I could hear people whispering, and I felt, I felt super insecure, because all of a sudden, like all these people know me. It's like I almost had, almost felt like I had to live up to this reputation, turn around, and punch a kid, like I'm back, and uh, and and <laughs> I, I felt so pressured, and I felt so insecure for the first time in 18 months. I hadn't felt like this before, 18 months. Remember, the service starts, and and, and I'm there, and and in the middle of worship, worship begins, and it was like. I, I, you know, for me, it was just normal to lift my hands and worship at that point. But all of a sudden, I felt like everyone's eyes was on me, right? You know how people say that, like everyone's looking at me. Well, this night, everyone was looking at me, and I felt super insecure. And I had this moment where I was fighting with God, the war that I was talking about, the war. You know, they care. What, what are you going to do? What are you going to think? And, and in that moment, I just felt sort of God just whisper in me. And it was just this little thing of, of this, quite simply, do you care more about what people think or about what I think? That was it. Nothing big, no huge revelation, just simply God whispering, do you care more about what these, what these temporal human beings think or what me, your loving, eternal father, think? And in that moment, I'm like, I care more about you. So I just put up my hand and started worshiping. At the end of the night, the, the, the uh, pastor that was preaching, his name was Paul Gearling. I'd never met him to that point. Now he's a good friend of mine. But we were there, and, 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 and he, he, he preaches, and he begins to prophesy over people. And he turned around, and he looked at me, and he said, you, Shaggy, in the front, because uh, I had long blonde hair. I was a surfer. I used to whip it back like this. I was super cool. And, uh, <laughs> and, and he's like, put up your hand, and, and he begins to prophesy over me. And he begins to, to say, I might have told this story, I think, last time I was here. I don't remember. But he begins to prophesy over me about how you're in a season of frustration. But God's building this, this big foundation in your life. Goes on to say, you're going to be a leader in this nation. God is going to use you around the world. That, uh, my friend is on the drums. He almost falls off the drums. Because everyone, I can hear like the collective <gasps> gasp of everyone. And, and in that one moment, God just kind of set me up. I didn't have to prove myself. I didn't have to, to do anything. In that moment, God gave me a word that, that I have held on to, and I'm still living out and still believing for certain things in that prophecy to come. And, and that was like 15 years ago, and I'm still living on that prophecy of what God did. And I felt like the reason why God let me have that moment was because in worship, I decided to care more about what he thought than what everyone else thought. 
And sometimes it's harder in your church to do that. But let me tell you, this is the one place to take off the mask. This is the one place where you can say, hey, this is, what I'm, this is how I'm doing. I'm struggling. Hey, how's your marriage? You know what? I love my wife so much, but we are struggling and stuff. How's your parenting? You know what? Sometimes I want to leave and never come home. Any parents can say amen to that? Or is that just me? Am I being too real right now? <laughs> Thank you for your hand, madam. Your child just ran out crying. I hate you, mommy. And, uh, right? Can we, you know, so, so we want to actually change. We want to see change in our life. We, we have to drop our pride. Jairus was there. He was like, I don't care what anyone thinks. I'm on my knees and I'm pleading fervently for God. We want to see change. We got to drop our pride. The second one is simply this. Do you want to change? Well, God may do, different, God may do things differently to how you want them done. <laughs> this sucks. Jairus had decided to change. He decided to drop his pride, that he needed to change his situation. He needed to change his theology, even on Jesus. He humbled himself, and his goal was getting his little girl healed. But things turned out much differently to what he thought. Jairus is there. Jesus has accepted it. They're walking. All of a sudden, this woman with the issue of the blood, what a story. A whole sermon for a whole other day. Stops, heals. All of a sudden, Jesus has this interaction. Disciples, who touched me? They're like, hey, everyone's touching you. He's like, no, you can't touch me. Who touched me? And they start rapping, and it's, it's this great moment <laughs> together. And, and, um, and could you, let's just, let's just focus on Jairus in this situation. Woman issue of blood, praise God, 12 years, amazing, hallelujah, great. Jairus, Jairus is you and me. Because Jairus is like, <laughs> cool, praise God, 12 years, wow, long time, amen, hallelujah, Jesus, can we go? Like, great, oh, awesome, okay, <laughs> can we, come on, my daughter's, my daughter's, my, da my daughter's dying. And in that moment, then he gets messengers that come and say, hey, don't bother the teacher anymore because she's dead. Can you imagine Jairus for a moment, like how angry he would be? how upset he would be. He, he, Jesus had said, yes, I'm coming. He'd started to walk. I'm coming. I'm going to do it. I'm going to heal her. Jesus was like 100% healings. It's not like, will he come and will she get healed or not? It was like 100% guaranteed. It's happening. Then all of a sudden he gets stopped because this other woman needed to encounter God. It was a little bit differently to the way Jairus had planned. See, when God doesn't do things in our timetable, or maybe he does do things, but it may look a little bit different to how it thought it would be. Maybe God is using the entire situation not just to help you, but to help others around you. To show his glory in your situation. I believe that Jesus allowed the interruption of the lady to teach and to show people the power of God, but also to show the choice that Jairus made. Because Jairus had two options like we all have in our lives. When all of a sudden this healing happened, he had two options. One was a negative option of what? Are you kidding me? How come you just stopped? Now she's dead. You just used up your miracle quota of the day. How many of y'all think that sometimes we believe that Jesus has a quota? Like they got healed, but oh, now you've used it up. Jesus is like, sorry, I'm done for the day. Come back in 24 hours. <laughs> right? And like, so he's got this idea that, you know, you've, you've used it up. How, how can you do it? How can you? Or he could look at it the other way and say, wow, Jesus, you just healed that girl. She may be, be dead now, but I've just seen you heal 12 issues. You're going to raise this girl from the dead. He had the two options. He had the two choices, how he going to do it. And, and I love it because Jesus allows the interruption of the girl because it forces Jairus to make that choice. 
It forces Jairus to actually believe Jesus when he says, hey, don't freak out. Just trust and have faith in me. But isn't that like us sometimes in church? Isn't that us? You're believing for a financial breakthrough. You're struggling with your finances. Someone comes up to you like, oh, praise God. I just got a pay rise out of nowhere. And like outwardly, you're like, wow, Jehovah Jireh really is our provider. Hallelujah. Shekinah glory. And inside, we're like, I hate you. I want to kill you and take your money. Someone raise a hand if you've ever had that feeling before. Thank you for your honesty, young man. Also, be careful because I said killing and he raised his hand. Right? Like, have you ever had that moment? Have you ever had that moment where your mom has cancer and somebody else just gets healed of cancer? How, how, but Jesus, how come you can't, have you ever had that moment where you're single and you're desperate for a spouse, but they're the ones that get a spouse and they're not even pretty? What did Jairus do? You know what Jairus did, which is so powerful? This is what Jairus did. He just kept walking. He just kept walking. And it shows me that his reaction was, well, if Jesus can heal that woman, then he can raise my daughter from the dead. It gives me hope in my life because if Jesus can heal that person, then he can heal my mother. If Jesus can give financial breakthrough for that person, then he can do it in my life. I drive by churches all the time in the Philippines. There's big churches around. I drive by and I go, well, God, if you can do it for that church, you can do it for my church. I come to Uni Hill. I'm like, God, if you can do this building for this church, I'm not angry because it's not like Jesus only has a certain amount of money that he should. Oh, Uni Hill, you've been good. I mean, it says in the Bible that he owns uh, cattle on a thousand hills. That's a lot, a lot of beef. On a lot of hills, God doesn't have a quota that just runs out. So God, if you did it for Uni Hill, then you can provide my miracle that I need this week in my life. It may not look the way that we planned it. It may not look how we sat down and told God it was going to happen. Haven't we done that before? God says, hey, you're going to do it. You're going to do this for me. Great. Well, God, I'm going to now tell you how I'm going to do it for you. And we write out our plans, and we write out how we're going to do it. I have found nearly every occasion in my life when God gives me a dream, a plan, a vision, I know where it's going. I know where I'm heading, but how I get there is completely different to how I thought I would get there. And Jairus, he's there faced with the choice, and he just kept walking sometimes in our life even if we don't understand what's happening we just need to keep walking if we're looking for that financial breakthrough and it hasn't happened yet just keep walking if you're looking for that miracle in your body and it hasn't happened yet just keep walking if your marriage is struggling and it's on the brink don't give up just keep walking maybe today you need the revelation that you just have to keep walking just keep walking but make sure you're walking with Jesus. Uh, I've shared this story before, but when I was 22, I, I, I got married. And uh, yeah, I was married for nine weeks and two days. And my wife tragically, in a moment, passed away in my bed. 
It was horrible. It was unexpected to this day. I still don't know the medical reason of, of why she passed away. I was a youth pastor, and I had visions and dreams that God had given me, not just things that I had thought of, but I had vision and dreams that God had given me. I, I felt in my heart that I was going to be a senior pastor. I felt like I was going to pastor a church uh, that, you know, had certain elements to it that, that God had graced my life to pastor. I, I knew that I, I didn't just want to stay in Australia. I knew I wanted to reach nations and, and travel and, and do things for God and, and do things that other people would be afraid of. And I had all these visions and dreams in my heart. And, and when I'd gotten married, it was like I had then planned out how all these dreams and visions were going to happen. And in a moment... It was all ripped away from me, completely ripped away from me. And it was tough, and it was hard because I'd, I'd, I'd known the vision, I'd known the dream, I'd had that God word, but then now how I thought I was going to happen was just all torn away from me in one violent moment as a 22-year-old that I had not prepared for and did not have the capacity to ha handle. It's great because that verse I read out that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble is that in that season, I somehow humbled myself before the Lord and God gave me grace. And now, let me tell you, right now I am walking in the dreams that I had as a young man. I'm pastoring the greatest church that I could ever pastor for me. It's my church. I love it. It's everything I want in a church. It's everything I wanted to pastor in a church. We have massive issues but it's, it's i love it it's my church I, i'm married i've got 2.5 kids right now right i'm like the, the household average right i've got 2.5 kids i'm married my my marriage i love my wife with all my heart but we still have issues and deal with things in our marriage but i love her and i'm on the journey and i think for the rest of my life i need to change <laughs> in my marriage i need to change every day and uh and I, and I love my wife, my kids. I adore my kids. I, you know, my, my, my siblings are all serving Jesus. And I, and I love my, my, my life. <clears throat> Excuse me. My, my life is perfect right now. Perfect with massive issues. But perfect for me. Why? Because I'm in the middle of God's will for my life. Now, let me say it to you this way. It looks completely different the journey of how I got here to how I thought it was going to be I knew I needed to change in my life but the change that I was expecting was a lot different to the change that God gave me but I'm still now walking in the dreams and the visions that God gave me when I was a young man and so my heart to you today is hey if God gave you that dream if God gave you that vision it's going to happen. It just may look a little bit differently to the way that you thought it would happen. It just may, just may be a little bit different to how you thought it was actually going to come about. I got there in the end, but it's looked a lot differently to how I thought. The third and the final point is simply this, is do you want to change? Then you need to be careful who you let in the room with you. <laughs> this is where it can get a little bit awkward. You need to be careful who you let in the room. Jesus gets to the house, right? Jesus gets to the house, and it's mayhem. It's, it's Middle Eastern response to death, and people are wailing and going crazy, 
and, and crying because this girl has now died. And, and Jesus, he only takes three of his disciples. He stops everyone. And he says, okay, uh, James, I need you here. James, I need you to come. James, you're going to be the first disciple that's actually martyred. And so I, I need you to come because you got great faith. And he's like, Peter, Peter, I need you. Because Peter, you're, you're stupid and brash and bold and you don't think before you speak. And you're, you're actually going to deny me. But you're also going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And you're going to preach the first sermon that saves 3,000 people. And at the gate of beautiful, you're going to reach up and heal a man. And then at some point in your journey, when it's all over, you're going to be crucified. But because you love me so much, you're actually going to be asked to be crucified upside down as to not have the same death of your Savior. So uh, Peter, I need you. And John, oh John, John, the most arrogant disciple of all that wrote about himself that Jesus loved you more than any of the disciples. John, I need you to come with me because I'm going to love you so much. I'm going to ask you from the cross to take care of my mother once I'm gone. As well, you're going to be put in a pot of boiling oil. They're going to try and kill you, but you're not going to be killed. But you're going to end up having this little dream, and you're going to write a book called Revelation. And so John, I need, Peter, James, John, I need you to come. I need you to come. Thomas, stay. (laughs) Judas, just keep counting the cash. (laughs) Right? Jesus chooses who comes with him. He gets to the house. He's there and everyone's crying and going crazy. Then all of a sudden he makes a statement, hey, she's not dead. She's sleeping. Everyone turns and starts laughing. Ah, you can't do that. Guess what? There's always going to be people in your life that laugh at you. There's going to be people in your life that try and bring you down for the faith that you have in Christ. Jesus looks at him. And and this is where I believe is the reason why God did not make me Jesus. There's multiple reasons, but let's just go with this one, right? So Jesus so, so beautifully sends them out. This is, this, is what, this is why I'm not Jesus, because if I was Jesus, this is what I would have done. I would have walked into this room, right, and, and, and people would have been laughing and doing their thing, and, and, and all of a sudden, I would have been like, okay, y'all don't believe? Hi, she's, she's dead. And I would have been like, oh, you think she's dead? Oh, wait a minute. Again, why I'm not Jesus. I would have been far too theatrical. I'm like, oh, wait a second. You think she, you think she's dead? Oh, Talitha Kum, boom! Yes, come on. She's alive, right? That's me. That's me. Um, thus, the reason why I am not Jesus. Jesus kicks them all out of the room. He doesn't want their lack of faith in the room. Jesus kicks them all out and says, get out of the room because I need people with faith in this room. And he heals the girl. You want to you change? You need to be careful who you let in your room. There's some relationships that you actually need to, to get out of. Sorry, can we just, just chill it for just one second? Sorry. There's some relationships that we actually just need to get out of. There's some relationships that we need to say no to. There, there's some people, and some people are like, well, James, how can you do this? God's told us that we have to love everybody. We're Christians. Christ said, love your neighbor as yourself. How do we do it? This is the tension point of being a Christian and growing closer to God. And this is, this is just my personal thing. What I always say is this. Are you influencing that person more for Christ or are they influencing you more for the world? And if you're influencing them more for Christ, then love. 
then do what you need to do. But if you find that they're influencing you more for the world, then you need to step back, create a boundary and say, I love you so much, but for my own walk with God, I just need to create a boundary. I just need to create a little bit of space so that I can grow into someone that has the character that can then turn around and begin to influence you and push you towards Christ. If you want to change, you got to be careful who's in your room. Because there will be people, and listen, this is the worst thing I'm going to say to you today. This is a horrible thing to say, but it's the truth. There are people in your life that don't want you to change. They don't want you to change. Why? Because the moment that you change, you will begin to expose the areas in their life that they need to change. And they don't want that. And so sometimes they hook into you and say, don't change. Don't change. Don't get too passionate about Jesus. Don't change your marriage. Don't, don't become a better person because then that's going to expose where I am and, and I don't really want to change. And there's people in your life that don't want you to change and they'll hold on to you and they'll try and get you not to change. And those are the people we got to just cut and say, hey, I need space. I need space. Why? Because the encounter and the miracle of Jesus matters more to me than just pleasing those around me. Do you want to change? That's the question. Do you want to change? In just a moment, I'm going to pray for everyone. We're going to worship. It's going to be great. But before we do, I want to ask possibly the greatest question of all when it comes to change, and it's simply this. Do you want to change from a life of not having Jesus to a life with Jesus? See, a life without Jesus looks like this. It looks like us separated from God. It looks like us just uh, in our lives. It looks like sin standing between us and God, sin that we've either done knowingly or, or done unknowingly that has separated us from God. And it says in the Bible that we've all sinned, that we're all separated from God. But because of what Jesus did on the cross, he actually made a way for us to encounter God, to come to God. And today in this place, maybe you're here and you've never, ever Acknowledge the sin in your life. You've never, ever acknowledged that separation from God, and you're saying, I need God in this place. Maybe you're here, and you did a long time ago, but you walked away. You, you changed. Life happened. Stuff happened. People said things. It was just the reality of what it was. Well, well let me tell you, it's not an accident that you're here, and, and the greatest news is this. You can't earn a relationship with God back. All you can do is do what the Bible says, which is to humble yourself. And to just admit that Jesus died on the cross for you and you can't pay your way back in. You can't go to Connect Group and Jesus will love you more. Connect Group is great and you need to go, but that's not going to get you salvation. The only thing is, is a humble heart that says, Jesus, I need you. So all over this place, could you just bow your heads and, and close your eyes? And if you're saying, James, that's me. I'm that first person. I've never, ever done this before. Or maybe you're like, James, that's me. I'm that second person. I did this, but I, I did it a long time ago. And I've walked away. I'm not asking you whether you've had a bad week or a bad month or a bad season. We all have seasons. I'm asking you, you know you don't have an active relationship with Jesus Christ. And today, you know you need to make that change in this place. If that's you on the count of three, I'd love you to lift your hand right where you are because I want to pray for you uh, right where you sit right now. So if that's you on the count of three, you lift your hands. One, two, three, all over this place. Awesome. Down here in the front, here in the middle, here on the side, here at the back here on the side praise God hey if you lifted your hand this is what I want you to do I want you to put your hand on your heart right now if you lifted your hand and we're going to pray a simple prayer we're all going to pray this together Uniheal, as a family we're going to pray this and uh, 
I want you to repeat these words. And, and if you lifted your hand, you got your hand on your heart, I want you to say these words and believe every single word as you say it. And, and I know that God's going to do a miracle in your life this morning. So come on, say these words. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, I come to you today and I ask you to forgive my sin. I believe that you died, but that you rose again for me. So come into my life. Be my Lord, be my Savior, be my best friend. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Come on, can you give God praise for every person? You know, if you lifted your hand right then, uh, some of our team saw you, and they've got a little pack that they want to give you. It's a book. It's just explaining what you did. So they're just going to come and, and give you that uh, before the service is over and get that book into your hand. There's about six people that lifted their hands, I think, and that's so awesome. Hey, for the rest of us, we've run out of time, but for the rest of us, can we just all just stand for a moment all over this place? And I told you I was going to make you come out the front, but I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to make you stand in your seat. But, hey, if you got change that you need, when I was writing, this is like the second time I've ever preached this. I preached this a couple weeks ago in my church. And as I'm writing this sermon, God's like, change this, change that, areas of my life. Amen? There's stuff in my, if you've got areas in your life you need to change, can you just lift your hands all over this place right now? If God's speaking to you about stuff. God, I thank you right now, Lord, for every person in this place. God, I thank you for every journey that you have each one of us on. And God, you see it. You see the areas. You see the maybe the areas of, of, of unbelief that we need to change in our life. God, maybe the areas of jealousy that are in our life. Lord, maybe it's the areas uh, where of insecurity and pride where we're looking and caring about what other people think, God. Lord, maybe it's that uh, area right now where we're struggling because we've got that God promise, but it just looks so differently to how we thought, and we just don't know if you're still going to heal or you're still going to set free or you're still going to uh, do that, that plan, God. Uh, Lord, maybe it's, it's changes in relationships that we need. I don't know what it is, but God, you know each journey. You know each heart. And right now, Lord, I pray for the boldness of the Holy Spirit to come and to fall on every person so that change can occur. So that change can occur. That, God, a decision can be made right now that change can happen. Give boldness to make the choice. God, give strength to follow through with those decisions. God, do what only you can do in this place today God we worship you come on with every hand raised can we just worship let's sing raise to life raise to life come on uh, come on worship him Why don't we lift every hand in this place? Sing it again. Raise to life.